Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. News Podcast presents Brett Baer's All-Star Panel. America has got to be in the lead if you want to deal with these threats. We're going to lead. The morning is over. The Shiva is done. And if you're a conservative, you should be optimistic. You know, my main priority right now is making sure that it delivers for the American people. We have to make our country great again, and I will do that. I think the president gets criticized by people all the time for the stuff he says, by people who ignore what he does. Now, Fox's chief political anchor, Brett Baer. Voters head to the polls in Florida and New York and Oklahoma. Redistricting is a theme for both Democrats and Republicans. Political analysts are hoping to use the results as a temperature test of sorts of where the two parties are headed into the midterm elections. While the Biden administration is expected to make a decision on student loans this week, some Democrats are pushing for wiping out some $10,000 of federal loans for borrowers. Some are pushing for more. For this and more, we bring in our panel, editor of The Spectator at Large, host of the Ben Dominich podcast, Ben Dominich, USA Today, Washington Bureau Chief Susan Page, and co-founder and president of Real Clear Politics, Tom Bevan. You know, I want to start on student loans, Tom, and it just seems like this is a political knife's edge. It seems like, in one sense, if the president comes out Wednesday and says, Listen, we're going to wipe out $10,000 of student loans for anybody making $125,000 or less. There will be a group of people who are very happy, and their parents will be very happy. Uh, But there will be a big group of people who are either didn't go to college or didn't go to graduate school or don't have student loans or paid back their student loans that say, wait a second, why am I paying for that? Right? Yeah, that, <clears throat> that's always been the tricky part of this issue. It's it's not just a you know indisputable win for for the administration because of the reasons you just mentioned. There are plenty of people who who are going to feel um, <clears throat> like we're subsidizing, uh, we're paying off the loans of of people um, who. While there are tons of people out there who who um, either didn't take loans, paid them, whatever. So it's it's. But again. I think the administration feels like the upside is is there for them that they will be seen as as doing something. Um, that, I mean, obviously, Biden. This is like his third round, I think, of of paying, uh, you know, giving giving money to pay off student loan debt. And so, I think the administration, having having already done this a couple of times, feels like it's a it, it is a win for them politically, especially this close to the midterms. And and obviously they are under a lot of pressure to do this. I and mean, you, you see it and hear about it almost every single day from, from the left wing of the party. They want this to happen. Susan, is it politically dangerous or, or manna from heaven for Democrats? I think it is high risk. Uh, I think the Biden White House doesn't really have a choice. They've said they're going to take some kind of step. This is something Democrats have been pushing for, got talked about a lot in the 2020 presidential campaign. 
but there are the downsides for people who think whatever they do is too much. There's also a downside with the most uh, fervently progressive wing of the party that will think the White House did too little. Uh, and so I, I think it is, uh, you called it a knife edge. I think that's a pretty good, pretty good image. And, you know, particularly important for this White House because the Democrats really need to energize young people to come out and vote in the midterms. And this would be one way to do it unless it manages to somehow disenchant them instead. Ben, I mean, I was just looking at percentages of, of people who go to college and then the percentage of those student loan takers, uh, there's about 60% of the student loan folks who are graduate students. So not only have they gone to college, but they go on to graduate school. And this person, this was on social media, said, so let me get this straight. The plumbers are playing, paying for the lawyers uh, to finish their graduate school. And how does that work? And how does it play? And I don't know if it's as simple as that, but I do get the sense that there is a, a, a big divide here. You know, Brett, I am no fan of the higher ed industry in America. I believe that it is an industry and that it's chewed through a lot of, of overpriced uh, offerings to the American people for a pretty long period of time. I'm no fan of, of, of higher ed uh, in terms of how much they've charged folks for educations that have not served them well or delivered on their promise. But that doesn't mean that you should be able to, as the White House intends to do here, shift things around on a whim and particularly to the point that you were just expressing there you know the, the vast majority of student loan debt is uh, you know held by a lot of people who went to graduate school the vast majority of Amer the overwhelming majority of americans never even go to graduate school uh, and it really does represent uh, a, a a level of debt that is held uh, by what people could fairly describe as uh, you know the the upper class uh, and you know to have a uh, a step of this significance taken, uh, you really, I think, are going to be essentially bailing out a lot of people who probably were Democrat voters anyway. I don't think you're going to be energizing a lot of people. And to Susan's point, you know, this the, this is high risk and low reward in terms of I, what I believe is going to uh, be the political ramifications of it headed into the midterms. I want to talk about other things, but Senator Tom Cotton just tweeted out, Biden is telling every college in America to raise tuition by $10,000. Um, again, it's not that simple. But we see on some of these government efforts to either wipe away debt or to incentivize or pay for things. You just saw Ford, Tom, cut 3,000 workers uh, and... They said to make the transition to electric vehicles, uh, they raised the price of electric vehicles. Surprisingly, right. this bill uh, incentivize, incentivizes uh, the purchase of electric vehicles to the tune of $7,500 for new and $4,500 for old. But it just it's uh, very cynical, but it is a reality that we just see in a number of different things. Right. If you subsidize something, you incentivize it, you're going to get more of it. I mean, that's and this is a broader discussion about higher ed. I mean, that's one of the things that that critics have said is that over time, the, the colleges, the university systems, the ones who are charging these, some say exorbitant rates, um, have no skin in the game. I mean, they're they're going to simply pass, you know, uh, they're going to increase their prices. They're going to pass 
that on to to consumers. And we still have in this in this country this um, you know high school to Harvard mentality where everybody's trying to get into the best colleges. They're willing to pay whatever it takes. I think we've seen that break a little bit and people are, are no longer recognizing it as as the value that I think some people used to be at college education and, and are willing to go into debt, you know, a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand dollars just for an undergraduate degree uh, in this kind of environment. So but that's a that's a broader discussion. But but your point stands. I mean, this is you know, the the colleges and universities don't have any skin in this game. It doesn't affect them at all. They should be again, critics say they should be held accountable and responsible for for some of this uh, as well, but they're not at this point. All right, we're going to take a quick pause here. We'll be back after this. And Susan, last thing. Knock that fire down, 19. Copy, Captain. Let's move. ABC Thursdays. Firefighters, we're family. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. The subject has explosive chemicals. Get down! With fiery romances. You're the love of my life. And Andy is finally in charge. I'm going to be the best damn captain the station has ever seen. Station 19. All new Thursdays, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. CNBC had a poll, said 81% of Republicans and some 40-plus percent of Democrats think that if you do this forgiveness, let's say it's $10,000 of student loan debt, that it is increases the chances dramatically of inflation going up in an environment where the administration says it's trying to do everything it can to get inflation to go down. Well, I think inflation remains the... The biggest issue uh, in the midterm elections, it's the one that has affected people uh, in their in their own lives the most of all the issues that we talk about. That and access to abortion, I think, has also really become a very cogent issue for a lot of Americans. So um, if, if, you know, we have seen some signs that inflation perhaps has peaked, maybe on its way down, gas prices certainly have declined. If that continues, it seems to me this attack on this as spending that's going to increase inflation may not uh, get as much traction as it will if inflation starts to go back up again. Uh, and then I think the administration and the congressional Democrats will be on the defensive about how they've been handling the economy. And so it comes back to the economy, Ben, and it always does for elections. But how people feel at the kitchen table really determines uh, how each party does come November. Yeah, I think that one of the things that we're seeing here is that as much as there's been these kind of uh, distraction moments, and I don't want to suggest that that means that they're unimportant uh, in the uh, decision, obviously, on uh, the Dobbs v. Jackson case, uh, you know, uh, reversing Roe versus Wade in the Mar-a-Lago raid and the like, we've had these kind of things that have attracted our attention uh, when it comes to uh, law and politics in America. The fundamental still is that these economic concerns are going to drive the election in November. And as much as either side might like to use these different elements to try to drive voter excitement or drive donor dollars, um, the the experience that people are having in America right now when it comes to the economy is, I believe, much worse than what we're actually seeing uh, in terms of the conversation in the media and in Washington. It is uh, really a feeling that things are headed in the wrong direction, that there's no real hope in terms of turning things around. And that itself indicates uh, a change-based election assuming that all things remain equal. Now, of course, 
ideas don't run for uh, for office; people do, and so the ramifications of people running for office in this, you know, could have significant outcomes in terms of the specific races, particularly in the Senate races. And Tom, last thing we mentioned uh, the Mar-a-Lago raid, and obviously they take took a lot of oxygen out of the news bubble uh, over the past couple of weeks. Now, word that uh, Trump may have had some 700 pages of classified documents, including the, the top secret, uh, the most top secret documents that the U.S. has, special access program documents, uh, at Mar-a-Lago, uh, according to the National Archives. Where you stand on this story is kind of where you look at things. Um, there are still a lot of folks on the right who believe that the uh, FBI didn't really justify how they did this and how they got here. And as we learn more and more about what the documents are, there are all kinds of questions about why uh, the former president had those documents and for what reason. So it seems like it's still an issue that plays uh, ahead of November. It does. And, and how do we know um, what those documents are? Well, what we're learning about them is being leaked to the New York Times from where? The Justice Department. I mean, we've seen this movie before. This is what you know, has Republicans and, and Trump supporters and even folks who aren't Trump supporters concerned, upset uh, about the way that this was done. And the fact, irrespective, let, let's say he had those documents, okay? And the question is, did the FBI, did they need to go in there with 30 armed agents and kick everybody out and ask them to turn security cameras off? And is that the way that it needed to be handled? Could it have been handled a different way? Was it handled that way because this is Donald Trump and not uh, someone else? Certainly not Hillary Clinton, who, you know, again, what about ism? I, I, I'm using the air quotes, but, um, you know, she was her home was not raided. She was not uh, even admonished or held accountable for any of, of the classified documents that she was using on a private server when she was, uh, you know, Secretary of State. So there's still a lot of uh, a lot of questions about exact, and we will find out more. Um, but I do think the administration, the Justice Department, and this is exactly what they don't want. They do not want this to follow the same pattern that that was used during the whole Russia collusion thing. Um, to have this leak out in dribs and drabs through Maggie Haberman at the New York Times or CNN or whomever, uh, that's not how we should learn about these things. They should be, have been upfront, should be upfront, and we're going to get a document. Maybe we're going to get this warrant unsealed partially. There will be redactions. There might be a, you know, a ton of redactions. I mean, it's uh, unfortunately, the way this is proceeding is exactly what uh, a lot of Trump supporters and, and Republicans um, you know, felt was so problematic about the way that, uh, you know, past things have been handled with regard to, to Donald Trump. So yeah. um, I suspect it'll continue that way, but that's kind of where we are. Yeah, I agree with you on process. I, this latest revelation with the National Archives letter came first from John Solomon, actually, uh, Trump-friendly um, journalist. Uh, and we've since obtained that letter uh, that was sent back in May from from NARA. But, Susan, um, I guess what it comes down to here is, one, uh, how does the president say that this falls under executive privilege with all these documents? Where does it go ahead of November? And how much attention does it take 
away from issues that maybe would have been better positioned for Republicans. It seems like the more focus is on the former president, the more Democrats seem to be bouncing back. You know, uh, Fred, I would just note that not only did this latest revelation come from John Solomon, no friend of the Justice Department, but we first learned uh, authoritatively about the search warrant and the search from Donald Trump, um, who who we had no we didn't have an announcement from the Justice Department. We didn't have a leak from the Justice Department. We had one tweet from a local Florida reporter, and then we had Donald Trump confirming it uh, with with great outrage what he had seen happen with this with this search warrant and the search. It, it does have, you know, I, th I think it has a kind of mixed political effect, as does everything involving Donald Trump, because it has, on the one hand, given him uh, uh, talking points to argue that uh, that he's being unfairly pursued. On the other hand, these are, seem to me to be very serious. This is a very serious matter. I think we do not understand exactly what uh, serious and sensitive documents he took with him. We don't know why he took them with him. And we don't know whether they were compromised at all during the time they were being kept in apparently, you know, the the basement of um, of Mar-a-Lago. There are a lot of serious questions here. It it may intensify his his base voters, uh, but it keeps him in the spotlight. When you know Republican candidates in the midterms would much prefer to be talking about things like things like inflation. Yeah. Last word, Ben. I, I completely agree that Republican candidates would rather be talking about things like inflation. But one of the things that I think we see going on right now, which uh, really I think could be the, the biggest factor in terms of determining outcomes in November, uh, is a lot of these Republican candidates, particularly Senate cabinet uh, candidates, are struggling to raise money. They are struggling to have the kind of resources that they need to go into the fall to run ads, et cetera. You've seen uh, the parachuting in of money into Ohio, you're seeing it in Pennsylvania, you're going to see it in, in more states from Mitch McConnell and from other traditional uh, Republican backers. And I think a big part of that is that Donald Trump, by dint of taking over the conversation, is sucking up a lot of that small dollar money uh, that would otherwise be flowing into these campaigns, presumably. He's, you know, when you see something like that raid happen, if you're a Trump backer, you give money to Donald Trump to fight back against the things that you see is going on in this country. And you don't give it maybe to J.D. Vance or to Dr. Oz or to Herschel Walker or to Blake Masters. And that's something that could end up having significant effects in terms of the makeup of the Congress after November. Which is ironic because some of those candidates are candidates that he brought into the, um, into the sway. Uh, okay, panel, thanks so much. Now for a bit of history. On the night of August 23rd, 1939, with another war brewing in Europe, Germany and the Soviet Union signed a non-aggression pact, formerly known as the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact. The two countries agreed not to attack each other while secretly dividing up the land between them. One week later, Germany invaded Poland from the west, and shortly after, the Soviets invaded Poland from the east. The pact was broken in June of 1941 when Adolf Hitler sent three million German troops into the Soviet Union, a move that many historians said ultimately led to the Nazis' demise. That will do it for this week. You can hear more of this series at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Make sure to leave a rating and a review. We want to hear from you. For Ben, Susan, and Tom, I'm Brett Baer. We'll see you next time.